We are back for another Codex Cantina episode, which is just two guys talking literature, trying to make sense of it. Now, we spend a lot of time pushing ourselves, trying to understand this literature, organizing it, and then bringing it to a conversational approach for how we deliver it. And we've absolutely put more money in it than we've gotten out of it. So if you guys are considering supporting this channel, we'd appreciate you checking out our Patreon link at patreon.com slash the Codex Cantina, as well as Ko-Fi of ko-fi.com slash the Codex Cantina. It all helps us in running the show, along with commercials, guys. So thank you so much. We're going to do a quick commercial break, and then we'll get on with the rest of the episode. I have a confession. I have never read Sympathy by Paul Lawrence Dunbar before. So this is my first exposure to this poem. Is this something that's normally traditionally assigned in high school or college? Because I'd never read it either. I don't know. But I will say this. I always thought like when the caged bird sings, I mean, I can't be the only one that thought that that was a reference to the Maya Angelou uh, quote. Uh, uh, her uh, autobiography. Yeah. OK. I mean, I'm sure that she's read Paul Lawrence Dunbar before. So <laughs> let me let me add some real world fact here, because I thought this was kind of interesting. And maybe we talk about this in the context of how we break this poem down. In a, an October 1914 article on The Poet and His Song, published by the AME Review, we have some clarification from his wife. She says, He was hired to work as an attendant at the Library of Congress on September 30th, 1897. But the experience was unpleasant and strained his declining health. He wrote sympathy, at least in part, because he was feeling, quote, like he was trapped in a cage, end quote, while working there. Wow, that does give a little bit of context of that I didn't take it as necessarily a work thing of that nature. It seems so much more symbolic and deeper than that. I think you can, I mean, this goes back to the argument of does literature, poems, do they have to be about authorial intent of what he wanted it to be about? And I think, you know, depending on how many clues are in there, you know, you could tell a different story there. Or do you just leave it completely up to the reader, their own devices, no research, just reacting to the text, right? This is one of those texts that I think is, is reactive, right? Like I think a lot of different people can feel oppressed or uh, unable to do something, and this poem can speak to that. Definitely. I feel that because it says, you know, a caged bird, that you feel oppressed, you feel locked in place, that you can't do anything. And I think that can speak to a lot of people, whether that's in a relationship or your job or whatever it may be. I guess I took this as set more of a time frame prior to 1897. And maybe he's trying to compare his experiences working at the Library of Congress to what happened to his forefathers in some way. I just it, it very came off to me as uh, 1860s, 1850s uh, America. Okay, so uh, when we're still in slavery, you're saying? Yes, definitely. It, it spoke to me of being during a slavery period and that the slaves were locked in a place like a caged bird. Because it says, I know what the caged bird feels, alas. And then it goes on to talking about you know the sun, the rivers, the grass, the spring in the air— those things, when we think about nature, they're out in the wild. They're free. They're, there's nothing constraining them, perhaps. And and do we take it as that's where the bird's from? Do we take it as that's what the bird needs, is that unconstrained reality? Like, this beginning part sets up the emotional state of the bird. All right. I guess I took it again a little bit more literal because my mind immediately went to the slaves are in the fields working 
in the tobacco or cotton fields and they're outside and the sunshine is there, but it doesn't feel good because they're being oppressed. They can see nature and they can understand what freedom is, but they can't have it themselves. And I think that's similar to what I was thinking, right? Because the bird is in a cage, right? Like he's not in those things, but those are the things that he wants. Right. right. Yeah, exactly. So and so we get a we get a tone of sorrow. I think we kind of agree with that. And it's the second stanza where we see that the caged bird beats his wings till its blood is red on the cruel bar. So now we start to bring in the violence, right? We start to bring in how the bird is pushing back on the cage, but it's being forced back to its perch, right? I have a guess as to what how you interpreted that. You want to tell me what it is? <laughs> <laughs> Your guess, I'm sure, would be 100% right. This is the fighting back. Uh, this is the, the civil war where the oppressed are rising up. And I think that I, I love this this part of the poem, and this stanza might be my favorite, because I think it alludes to what I feel a lot of times uh, when people are trying to inspire change, that that words can only take you so far. And I think that I've said this before, and I, I, I've stolen this from Sam Harris, that he said there's basically two ways that we communicate through our words, whether that be uh, you know through some type of art form, like painting, music, literature, et cetera, and, and, and violence, our fists, and, or, you know, i.e. weapons. And I think that this is to the point where, like, I realize in the poem, to me, that the bird the, the, the bird that is caged is not going to talk its way out of that cage. <laughs> That's not going to happen. And that, mm. that, that fighting back is, is going to be the only option in order to secure its freedom. Mm. A revolution, right? Something needs to change. We need to change what the status quo is, per se. A violent and, change. Well, and you can even take it from post-slavery era, like, you know, this was coming out in late, late 1800s, 1897, that you, you still have Jim Crow, you still have a lot of, you know, separation in terms of what people are being deprived of rights in terms of uh, segregated activities, in terms of not being able to go to certain areas based on your skin color, that regardless of the era, I think we all, it's not that we all can relate to slavery, but we can all relate to that feeling of being deprived of something that you feel everybody, like this should be given to everyone. Whether we think about the birds, the sky, nature, like that, I think most people agree is a universal gift to humanity, to put it poetically, right? But I think we all get that feeling of when we can't get to that something. Um, I guess, I guess the really, the biggest comparison I can have is a very weird feeling was I was working once and it's, it's, this is so dumb, but it really was a psychological trip. I had to clean the walls of this, this building. This building is huge. It was an old school. And all the walls are white, okay? It's like third grade, fourth grade. So you have kids that, you know, draw on it with pencil and eraser, just dumb stuff like that. <laughs> and you had these special chemicals that, that would clean it. And it sounds weird, but I remember on the third day just just staring into white, like this, just this bright white wall as I'm sitting here cleaning it. Like something started to happen in my brain. I started to freak out. Like I really did. And what solved it was I just, I needed that freedom. I needed that, that release, the change of scenery. And I had to like go outside and breathe the air in order just to calm myself down. I, I realize this is a, a not really that dramatic of a situation, but I think we can all relate to that feeling of, whoa, something's got to change. I got to get out of this, like that, that feeling. And, and obviously their situation is much worse. Uh, theirs being, uh, you know, if you look at the author being African-American writing in, in 1897, 
how do they get out of that? Right. Like there's a lot of times that they're deprived of certain things that it get, I think it's a very emotional poem. Oh, for sure. I think yours was probably the bleach got to your head and you were about ready to pass out. <laughs> uh, but it was a purple no, chemical. Uh, uh, I don't know what was in it. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, but on a more serious note, I mean, literally the name of the poem is sympathy of what does that mean to have sympathy versus empathy? And I think that, that, you can be sympathetic to this. No, you you can't mm. empathize necessarily because you and I have never lived that lives. We'll never live that life. And and even um, uh, Dunbar himself didn't necessarily live the atrocities of slavery, but he's adjacent to it. And so he can sympathize with his forefathers that he can't go to the bathroom. He can't sit a certain place on the bus. He can't use a, a drinking fountain. Uh, you know, he, he can't go to certain stores. All those things are restricted to him. And he does feel trapped. And that mm -hmm. he he's starting to understand maybe what his grandparents went through on some minute level. I really like the idea at the end with the bird making the noise, calling out, is it crying? You know, we, we, we see a bird flapping around making a noise. I don't speak bird. I don't know what it's saying. And I don't know, sometimes it might be chirping out of happiness. Maybe it's actually very scared. Like there's a predator nearby that I didn't see or something like that. And it makes me think, too, because you remember Paul Lawrence Dunbar. He's also the one that wrote the We Wear the Mask that we covered. It, it's that performance, you know, like sometimes we make these noises and we do these things. And I don't know if other people, to your point about sympathy, understand really the pain or the emotions behind some of our actions, right? Like so easily can we assume someone's just trying to get attention or just trying to make noise. And we may not sympathize with that person and really understand their pain or the suffering that they're going through. And I thought that the, the bird really, I don't know, somehow was able to pull that out that, that it really kind of made me question how I sympathize, I guess, with some, some people going through those sorts of things. Well, I think the key line there to understand that this is not a positive thing because I know that there, the, I, I thought about it, like, w what would be the argument, you know, kind of against what you were saying of this idea that maybe the cages they're protecting them, right? That the, the mm, bird mm -hmm. is in the wild and there is a, a panther or a cheetah or, you know, I don't know, a weasel or something that wants to eat the bird and it's safe inside the cage. And there was always that argument. Uh, and I've seen that in some, you know, very, uh, I'll call them interesting history books of that, you know, slavery was good for them because it gave them purpose and it gave the slaves structure and, uh, you know, they wouldn't know any better uh, that, that it's a good thing that the cage, they're protecting the bird from all the nasties of, uh, you know, the world. But I, I think the line, it was not a carol of joy or glee. And that really hits home that this is not positive to be in this cage. This is definitely a negative to be here and that the, the freedom outside of the cage is the, the thing that the bird is longing for. Whatever you may see, your perspective from the outside, you can only sympathize with the bird on the inside unless you've lived that life. Mm, that's fair. That's fair. Kind of like what you're talking about with, um, we saw a little bit of that. Remember Charles Chestnut's The Passing of Grandison, where like the slave owner was kind of gaslighting the slave. I was like, oh, don't you have it great here? Like, don't don't you don't you think it's wonderful? Like, to not have that burden of freedom in a sense. That it's interesting the tales that we can spin in a sense of of what what certain things mean to us, and maybe only understanding someone's cry can really only tell us whether what level of pain that they're really in. 
And I, and I think that's what's great about this story is it really kind of, to me, elicits that. So Yeah, it's great because it does give you kind of a perspective of things, and, and that's everything. Uh, I think that <laughs> the entire idea of that slavery could be any way twisted to a positive is you know just absolutely ridiculous, in my humble opinion. Um, and I, I, I'm guessing that you would agree, but I think that this does a great job of just giving a snippet of you know um, that alluding to what does, uh, you know, what does one long for? Uh, how does one long for something that they cannot have when they're trapped? Absolutely. All right. So that was Sympathy by Paul Lawrence Dunbar, a master writer. What stories would you want to see us cover from him or poems for that matter from him? Let us know in the comments down below. What did you think about the poem? Did you like it? And what was your interpretation? Look forward to hearing you. My name's looking forward to hearing you. I'm looking forward to hearing from you. My name is Una. Peace out. Peace.